Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to come around the Word of God together. I'd like to welcome everyone listening online, welcome everyone new in the service. My name is Joel. I'm one of our pastors here at Celebration Church. This is a point in our service where we come around the Word of God together. And as I've already stated, uh, we've been talking about pillars, people in the house of God that are strong, that are courageous, and that stand firm. And this morning, I would like to bring us around our last part. And the title of today's message is The Price and Purpose of Pillars. The price and purpose of pillars. Look at that, all those P's. If you've got your Bible, turn me to Galatians chapter 2. I have two points this morning, and then I've got a, uh, a warning. No, that's not the right word. We'll get to that later. Galatians 2 verse 9. When you got it, you're allowed to say got it. I believe it will appear on the screen as well. It says, James, Peter, and John... Those esteemed as pillars. Everyone say pillars. This is the only reference in the New Testament of anyone referred to as a pillar. This is it. This is your only verse you've got. We've got some in Revelation, which Pastor James and Pastor Nat shared about. Those that overcome will be known as pillars. But this is the only account that we have where we identify specific people and we say that they are pillars or the way that Paul says it here, those esteemed as pillars. Uh, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, which in other words means that they agreed with Paul's ministry. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. James, Peter, and John those esteemed as pillars. You don't have to go very far to look at James, Peter and John and see that they are standouts, both in the fact that they were apostles, but in the fact that they were top of the list often in the list of disciples. In fact, I believe every reference to the disciples, Peter is listed first. Ooh, the number one one. Does anyone at school remember having the last name that meant you were read out first and you just thought you were the best thing ever and really it meant nothing? Anyone in the room with a last name starting with A? Okay, cool. We were all losers then. We all never got read out first and we all thought, is there any Zs in the room? Z, however I say that letter? No. Ys? Ooh, praying for you that you would get healed from the trauma of getting read out last. And then your teacher was like, I'm going to read them backwards today. But because I'm M, I was disappointed every time. I was like, can you read it from the middle today, Mrs. Thompson? Um, (laughs) Pray for me. Um, You don't have to go very far to see these disciples. They were, uh, these three disciples were pulled up away for special events with Jesus. They were amongst the earliest disciples. They were top five at least of being chosen by Jesus. They um, were regularly on the top of the list. They had highs and lows still, no doubt, especially if you look to Peter. Uh, There are moments where they seem to be going fantastically and moments where they suggest things like, let's make a whole bunch of tents here when the most supernatural thing in Jesus' ministry to that point was happening and Peter was like, let's make some tents. And we're like, shh, Peter, please stop talking. We know you love tents, dude, like calm down. Um, 
Or like denying Jesus, I guess he did that one too. But I think the tense one's more offensive personally. Um, keep your tense to yourself. Does anyone like camping here? Pray for you after the service as well. <sighs> but I want to give you the two things that when I look at these three biblical characters that stand out that I think make them pillars. And when I look to the local church today, and I've been in church um, my whole existence by a good five months where I took a break and I gave excuses like, I think I have asthma today. I can't go to church, mum and dad. It was great. love being 14. Um, but things that I've seen that define pillars, the first thing is this, um, they have unused excuses. Let me pray for us, actually. Is that okay? Because I think we need him. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has the power to change us. I pray as we step out with Galatians 2 this morning that you challenge us, encourage us, and help us to see maybe that we are pillars or we are yet to be pillars, that you would help us to humbly come before you, willing to change, to be conformed to your image, Jesus, not acting like we've got it all together, but instead that nothing else would do, that we would actually just want you this morning. So I pray as you challenge us this morning that we leave this place bigger and stronger and better than ever. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So they have unused excuses. I think what can um, be misunderstood sometimes is when someone stands strong in culture, Australian culture, any culture at all, we can see someone standing strong and we try and find some kind of weakness in them to validate how they got it. Oh, that person's got a nice car. It must be daddy's money. We, we have all of these different thoughts when someone is doing great that they don't have all of the reasons, the excuses, the pain, the hurt of us. But I want to encourage you this morning morning, if you want to be a pillar in the house of God, you won't be without excuse or without pain or without reasons why you could not or should not. What you will be if you choose to be a pillar is you will choose not to use those excuses. You will choose to lay down your offenses. You will choose to lay down the reasons why or why not. In Luke uh, 14 verse 16, we have a story here speaking of a feast and it says, Jesus uh, replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have brought a field and I must go and see it. Wow. You've got a banquet on. Sounds awesome. Free food. It's all prepared. Mm -hmm. I have, I've got to go look at my field. <laughs> have you ever had one of those valid excuses given to you? If you're a parent in the room and you've got a teenager, you've probably heard a few before. I can't wash the dishes um, because my finger's infected with laziness. I don't know. Um, I have a field. I must go see it. Uh, please excuse me. Another said, I've brought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, we've got one dude that's like, got to see my field. Another guy's like, let's work these oxen, baby. Like, I, I can't come. I'm sorry. It looks delicious, but I'm going to be working my oxen. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> uh, 
whipped on the uh, handbrake, I don't know. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the story continues. I've been in church a little while and I've heard some, some pretty juicy excuses before. Can I give you a few of them? Ooh, spill the tea, give the gossip, yum, yum. I've heard I can't come to youth because I have to play soccer in the morning. I've heard I can't come to youth because my mum is cooking pork. I've heard I have to leave the church because a kid kicked a ball and it hit me at the baptisms. I've heard I'm leaving the church because they had ice blocks during service leading time and that is not holy. I've heard the pastor didn't look at me and smile at me in the courtyard so they don't like me and I'm leaving. When I asked that pastor, Pastor James, he didn't remember seeing them. He was just walking past and didn't notice and they got offended. There's funny excuses, but there's also excuses that we all can often have and we can make fun of other people for their lazy excuses, but we can often have our own excuses and they can be things of offence. They can be things of, or maybe still funny, the music is too loud, it doesn't fit in with me, I feel overlooked, my demographic, my person, my type, what I want, what I value, my gifting isn't honoured in the way that I want it to be. What I want isn't being met, my needs aren't being met. And we all have these types of excuses. If you're like, I don't know how I fit in, congratulations, you're a human. We all think that. I guarantee you when Pastor Benoit is preparing his message next week, he's not like, I'm so excited that everything fits perfectly and I am just here and everything. Just, I'm not standing up here being like, I get my place in everything. I don't. We, we can all have these excuses and these reasons why we do, do not. And James, Peter and John also did as well. <laughs> These guys weren't perfect. James, I was reading a commentary which described James as this. He was a man of courage and forgiveness, a man without jealousy, living in the shadow of John, a man with extraordinary faith. The James and John, these brothers described as courageous, described as the sons of thunder because they were intense to be around. But James didn't write the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelations. James had reasons why he was, could have been that brother or overlooked, but we still see James do some amazing things, which we'll see in a second. Peter, you know, sunk when he stepped out of the boat. He betrayed Jesus. As I already mentioned, he did that weird tent situation, which makes me still uncomfortable. He also cut off a soldier's ear. At the end of his discipleship with Jesus, he's cutting ears off. This isn't a new Christian on the first day going up to a hot girl and prophesying that they will be their wife one day. This is the end of ministry. He is chopping ears off. Chopping ears off. This isn't a metaphor. This dude is cutting the ears off people. Criminal mind style. No, okay, I won't go that far. But... These guys have just as many reasons why they couldn't do what they did, which was be pillars of the early church and therefore pillars of the church. You have excuses, you have reasons as well, as do I, but if we are going to choose to be pillars in the house of God, make a calculated decision to respond to the grace that God has given us, we must be willing to lay down our valid excuses 
and count them as invalid. I have this on, I have this happening, I have this going on, this is happening, this is happening, cool. There was no excuse given to the master in this parable that made him anything but angry. Getting married, valid. I know a church that won't let their married couples serve for six months after they're married, which obviously intrinsically builds in that serving is bad for your marriage, so we're not going to do that here. If you're like, I want six months off, I better get married. Um, That's not the... But we have these excuses, these reasons why we can and cannot. A side note, I've been in youth since I was 14, so now coming up to 17 years, and it's still funny that Paul Green has sunglasses on the back row right now, trying to be the cool guy. Uh, Now they're off, and now he's embarrassed. You're just a year nine boy to me. I know your type. I know what you're doing right now. Hilarious. <laughs> or maybe a thing to do with our excuses is to use them differently. To instead of them being the thing that disqualifies us, it just locates the fact that we cannot do it without him. That, oh, oh my gosh, this and this and this, but Jesus but I can keep on standing because I am built on the foundation of him. He is my cornerstone. He is the purpose why we're building this roof to hold people up, why my purpose as a pillar even exists. Pillars choose to trust the process, to forgive, to keep on hoping, to have faith, to fall into Jesus, to lead by conviction over convenience. Even when excuses and reasons are loud, a pillar chooses to do the next right thing. No matter how many right things you have done, the question is, can you do the next right thing? Can you keep on making those decisions? Even when you've fallen over, can you do the next right thing? In the local church, when I think of pillars, I think of someone that stands at their post. They give even after they have outgiven others. They allow themselves to be stretched. They continue to move with God. They stink of humility. It's all over them. They stand and do what God asks them to do. They problem solve their own excuses. They are so fixated on co-laboring with Jesus. They pay whatever personal price necessary to love God with their whole heart and to love others in the same way. They are not without challenge or reason or hurt. And if anything, they have more valid ones than the rest. Yet they choose to lay them down. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you have reasons why you cannot, if you have excuses of why you couldn't stand firm, get over them. Not for you. You don't have to be a pillar to get to heaven. But for the sake of holding the roof up for someone else. So the first thought here is, will we pay this price? Will we make a decision to be these supports? And the second thing is purpose, which I just said then. The second point this morning is the pillars, they are holding up the roof. That is their purpose. There's many things that we can list about what makes a great Christian, and we project that on pillars, but Peter, James, and John here are described as pillars. Were they the only Christians? No. Were they the best Christians? No. Were they professional Christians? No. The reason why James, John, and Peter are standouts 
is not because that they just love God or they just worship or they just read their Bible or they do all of the things that will make us healthy followers of Jesus. They are pillars because they held up the roof for the church so that the church could go forward. You can be brilliant, an amazing Christian, a Jesus follower and not a pillar. Peter, James, and John, let's have a look at them. Uh, We'll go there in a second. I just want to read James 2, verse 26, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And 1 Corinthians 15 gives us, Be steadfast and immovable. I think sometimes we stop there as Christians. We think if we're going to be a Christian, we must be very steadfast and immovable. The most stubborn people on the face of the earth happen to follow Jesus. Coincidence? (laughs) We don't move on to the rest of the verse where it says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. These two verses align with Galatians 2, start to paint us a picture that these pillars are not just, I had reasons, I, I just, but I stayed anyway. They are actively involved with building the body of Christ. I love clarity. I don't know about you. Maybe you like muddiness and vagueness and you want to sit down and debate a word and its real meaning and what this means and redefine words. I like clarity. I think the church likes clarity as well. I think we're very good at uh, demanding clarity of our society whilst we don't demand it of ourselves. I think we're very good at finding the newest thing for the church to be offended about and fight for whilst ignoring the log in our own eyes. We're very good at it. I think, I think we're astonishing. I think a part of that is because we believe we have a relationship with God and therefore anyone that doesn't, we have something to tell them that they are completely wrong and every opinion that we hold dear is now God's opinion and is correct and right. But I think we have to be very, very good at locating and feeling the giant logs in our own eyes. So we can fight for words and meanings and definitions of things, but a pillar... We can argue over it. Oh, yeah, pillar is someone that, you know, stands on the 10 core values of most mainline denominations, that their theology is this, this, and this. And if they veer off it, don't buy their books, don't talk to them anymore. They are now from the devil and they are naughty. So we can say, man, you're a pillar in the house of God. But if we call someone that isn't a pillar a pillar, we are missing a truth of what pillars actually are and what they actually do. I love, I love building the church. I love it. I love it since I was 14 and actually encountered God over in the multi-purpose room before youth was in here. Oh, it wasn't the multi-purpose room, it was the kids' room and there was delicious carpet and all the poles were padded in case someone smashed their head into it. OH&S existed back then as well, apparently. We were protecting everyone's head from all the poles. I love that I have to forgive in church. And I'm willing to pay whatever price, whether it be to be misunderstood or to be hurt or to be tested or tired or exhausted or have to forgive or disappointed or overlooked or dismissed or unliked to build the church. And the reason why 
that I think sometimes we get a little bit confused about what it is to be a pillar, what it is to be a true builder of the local church, is we get a little bit confused about what it's going to take to be a pillar and what the purpose of the pillar is. The purpose of the pillar is not to be the latest trend. The purpose of the pillar is to pay whatever price necessary to stand at the post that God asked you to stand at, to hold up the roof so that others could encounter him. I have unfortunately found over my years people that love Jesus but don't like the body attached to him. And unfortunately, Jesus without his body isn't an option. Jesus isn't offering a decapitated version of Christianity. He's not offering, oh yeah, I love God, but man, the church is exhausting. It's not an option. And it's quite likely that you love God because maybe the God that you serve never offends you. Maybe he never asked you to do something you don't want to do. Maybe he doesn't call you to sacrifice the way that maybe someone in the body calls you to sacrifice. Maybe you detach those two things and then it's very, very easy to call yourself a pillar without being attached to the roof, which I found out last Sunday doesn't make you a pillar. That makes you a pole. If you're a pillar not attached to the foundation of what Jesus is and the mission of what Jesus wants to build, the local church, you are not a pillar, you're a fancy pole. It may be decorative, Maybe for exercise, you spin around it once or twice. Maybe it's a scene out of singing in the rain, or maybe it's a, trying to hit up every generation possible. But it's not a pillar. So let's be clear about what pillars are. When you see someone that is a pillar, they are clearly, undeniably connected to the roof. What is the roof? It is the mission of Jesus and the specific and current grace of the church. Now, I went over that a few times in my head because I was like, should it be that they're connected to Jesus, their own grace and the church? But a difference between a pillar and people that think they're pillars is a pillar realizes that they are the church. So they're not detached from it. It's not my grace and how it fits in with the body. It's the body's grace. And I'll take up anything that is required of me to be a part of the body and to build the local church. Can I encourage you, if you ever find yourself saying that the church or Christians are requiring this and that of you to make sure that you are reattaching the head to the body because you have decapitated the body of Christ. (laughs) And you love Jesus, but you don't like his hands and his feet. And if you don't like his hands and his feet, I want to challenge you, do you know Jesus? Do you know the bride that he died for? That's the roof. That's the roof we're holding up. Pillars aren't standing for themselves, for their own survival. They are there to make it better for everyone else at the party. That's the goal. That's the reason. And when we look at James, Peter, and John, we see some things that make them pillars And the thing that made these three guys pillars that separated them from other disciples was John wrote John 1, 2, 3 and Revelations and preached the gospel to Asia Minor. James preached the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Peter preached the gospel in Jerusalem, Samaria, Ephesus, Corinth and Rome. 
the reason that these guys are esteemed as pillars. If we can have those scriptures back on the screen, James 2 verse 26. For the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. They are pillars not for who they were, but for what they did because of who they were. They had an identity that was secure, but it didn't stop at the latest revelation and opinion and what they wanted and what they required and what was the latest moment. They did much to build the church. So I'm a little bit uh, conscious, aware that we can throw out words and meanings and things and we can be very generous or even reckless with our words. But when we're esteeming pillars, we have to be able to look at someone's life and say, you held up the roof. When the walls were falling in, you stood firm. You knew your post and you stood firm not because you were stubborn. You stood firm because God asked you to do it. Therefore, you were going to do it. These guys were esteemed pillars. I want to give you uh, something as a point of reference. Um, Can I get... Um, John, I want Jess. So can you jump over here for a second? John, can you stand there? Jess, can you stand there? Uh, up on the up on the step would be awesome. Just face that way. Can you both do a front flip? No, I'm joking. Um, it was so funny to watch the glory. It'd be like a youth concussions everywhere. Um, can you um, stand with your feet on the ground? Yeah. Can you stand with your feet on the ground? Actually, can you both stand here, right next to each other there, like we're doing a wedding thing or something? Face that way. No, not like that. Too. Whoa, calm down. Oh, babies. Oh, triplets. Oh, what? I don't know. Uh, okay, uh, together. Um, what are you guys doing right now? Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, you're standing. Well done. You nailed it, Jess. That's what I wanted. Can you um, stop standing and can you start walking? Just walk up there. Stop standing and just start walking. Mm -hmm. Can you come back now? Mm -hmm. Can you come back? (laughs) If I say what? Church, what are they doing right now? Can you walk again? Now what are they doing? They're walking, yeah. Can you come back again? (laughs) Face that way. Do you know how like you feel your feet on the ground, right? Two feet. Now walk again. Feels different, right? Does it feel different? Sit down, it'll make sense in a second. (laughs) If you're standing right now, I'm not going to say you're walking, right? You're standing. And what can happen sometimes in church life is we can look at someone and through a filter or ideas or whatever, we can say, wow, look at how much they're running for God. And they're not. When we look at James, Peter and John, they are moving their feet. They are going to places that are not yet one for the kingdom and fighting for them by preaching the good news. They are not sitting with their feet standard still. We're not listing other disciples. Judas isn't getting a shout out here from Paul. Neither is Doubting Thomas, which would suck to have it as your nickname, right, Thomas? Um, There is a difference between standing and moving. Church, 
When I became a parent, um, the word tired got a new definition. I was, like, early days of youth, I was tired because I didn't sleep the night before because I was too busy um, beating John Stewart in Mortal Kombat and he would get so upset and cry at my house. Not true, that was Timmy, brother. Um, that's what made me tired. I, I remember the early days of South Campus. It was so glorious to watch Josh Poulton fall asleep on the front row every single, every single Sunday. These feelings of tired, yeah, but then when you become a parent, you're like, oh, that's what tired is. Like before I was like, oh, I get home from work. I'm so tired. So I watch six hours of TV. And now it's like, I get home from work and someone punches me where they shouldn't punch me again and again. And they say, daddy, daddy, daddy. And then Alex stops talking to me. And then my kids come in as well. Oh, the twist there. It was Alex the whole time. She was the one punching me, calling me daddy. Okay. <sighs> Yikes. Cheeky. Cheeky taco. He got a new definition of what tired was. Was I tired before? Yeah. It actually took me a while to realize um, that when people told me they were tired that didn't have newborns, not to just um, smile at them and just want to punch them in the throat. It took me a while to realize it actually doesn't matter if you're drowning in 10 foot of water, if I'm drowning in 30, you're still drowning. But there's a very big difference between someone struggling that is moving and someone that is sitting down on their butt, not moving, saying how tired they are because of how much they're moving. And we need to have people in our lives that when we are falling prey to our excuses and when we are no longer holding up the roof, none of us should be in post-ministry ministry, by the way. There shouldn't have been a stage that we were ministering with such strength and now we are no longer ministering and that's our ministry to talk about how we used to do ministry. That doesn't matter if you're 15, 16, 17, it doesn't matter what your age is in that. We, none of us should be in post-ministry ministry and we should all have someone in our worlds that are saying, get up, move forward. Get up, the church in Ephesus needs you. The new Christian needs you. The 120 plus new people that will walk through our doors on Fridays and Sundays need you. They don't need you to set up the chairs. They don't need you to play a little part. They need you to throw your whole heart in to loving God and loving people. Not saying I, I give and that person serves. No, that's not how it works. There's not... Um, there's not a piece of the pie. When we look at things like the body of Christ, or we use all these little metaphors and then we systemize it into, okay, that's the host team. The host team serves and I give and I offend the pastor. That's my mantle in the church and I'd be mean to the new people or someone wears something that I don't like and I tell them it's too bright, it's mustard and it's scaring me. Um, nothing. Um, no, we all play a very important part, which is God, I give you my whole life. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you ask me to do. And I will stand because you've told me to stand. And I will hold this roof up when I have excuses, reasons, why everyone offends me, why it's difficult, why it's challenging, why I served on the team for three weeks. And then the supervisor didn't encourage me anymore. And I got really tired and I wanted to leave that team. No matter what the reasons are, I will stand in your house as James, John and Peter did two of three which were martyred for it I will build 
the local church. Not in theory, not with my history, but with my present. Words have meanings. And I want to encourage every single person in this room to keep on falling away from your excuses. Maybe you've been walking with God for maybe five years. When you first started, maybe you saved now youth ministry and your excuses were, mum won't let me do it. <laughs> but you've moved on to other excuses of, I need to pay this bill. I need to do this thing. Excuses are excuses, baby. None of them are too great. And the people that, just, that miss out on excuses are the people that should have been in the house, but the roof fell in because you didn't stand. Let's be people that will hold the roof up. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Something, 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 something. To finish off this morning, I want to give you three easy mistakes we make when admiring pillars. Three easy mistakes we make when admiring pillars. I, I don't think... I got to encourage Pastor James and Annie before he preached last week and just say that they're pillars in my world. They're not pillars in my world um, for any reason apart from they made me a pillar. It's actually a huge qualifier for me if someone's a pillar is if did you make one? (laughs) It's not can you preach or can you do this or are you good at making jokes? For me, Pastor James is a pillar for the pillars that he left that are holding the roof up still. It's not his latest message and I'm holding on to every single word that he's saying. It's I have measured the life of a person and I have um, admired it from close up. So let me give you um, a few things, mistakes I think we make when we admire uh, pillars in a wrong way. The first thing is we quantify their stories. In other words, we make a system and a structure around if that's what happened, then it's going to happen for me. We need to be very intentional when we hear pillars in our world that we listen to the lesson over pridefully predicting God's plan for our life. There's a big difference between you tell me an encounter that you had with God that ended great or not so great, and I try and learn from your lesson. It's very different through I now have fear and I'm predicting if I don't do what they tell me to do right now, then I'm going to end up in a place that isn't the best. And we start to quantify and put um, like rules and regulations on the lesson that you were supposed to learn from their testimony. And it's actually very dangerous because what can happen is let's say um, I have been in our youth ministry for 17 years and um, where's Jared? Is Jared in the room? Jared, how long have you been on youth team for? A year. So Jared's new on our team. Jared can come to me and I can tell him about my stories as being in youth for most of my life and Friday nights and everything going on. But if Jared gets my most broken stories and my weirdest lessons and comes into a Friday night completely filled with, Pastor Joel did this, and if I did this, this is going to end horribly. But if I don't do this and I do this, then I'm going to be fine. And then I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And we lose the adventure of walking with Jesus because we are crippled by someone else's testimony which is never meant to be the purpose of the testimony at all. So when you are hearing from a pillar in your life, someone that you're like, man, they hold the roof up, they're consistent. Learn the lesson without getting crippled. I remember a time, I know, uh, I'll say it now. I remember a time we had our um, oversight um, retreat a few years ago with Pastor James and Annie. 
Everyone left. I mean, Alex stayed for an extra day and we've, we, it was fresh, fresh Jeremiah on the scene, fresh parents, exhausted, just blech. Ellie broke us. Jeremiah was nothing. Walk in the park. Ellie will make eye contact with you while she's screaming. It's amazing. It's confidence. It's, I love it. The future is female. Give it. Yes. But I remember talking to Pastor James Annie about what ministry was like when they had newborns, what they wish they did different, which where they learned. But I didn't listen to them being like, okay, what, is, what are all their regrets? I've got to make sure I fix everything before it happens because that's ridiculous. We can't make all these rules and these regulations off someone's personal experience with what they overcame. Learn the lesson before you pridefully think that you are going to be able to predict everything that's going to happen in your life. If you do what you've, they've done, it doesn't mean you're going to get everything that they've got. Don't act like it's all that simple. Learn from the lessons. We'll get on to a second. Or the last one will give us some more clarity on that. The second one is this. We can romanticize the unromantic. We taste the fruit of the current season rather than admiring the right things. We look at the decorative, the stories over the substance, the struggle. And one of the really horrible things, which I don't know if you know, but the last, if you remember anything, you're not remembering the event, you're remembering the last time you remembered the event. So a story that you tell more times can more and more move away from what reality is and more and more of what your reality of what happened is. So sometimes we can be at school and we have this experience at school and then we go leave school and then this happens. Or maybe you we're in a church and you left that or a relationship and you left that and the more and more you think about it over a period of time, the more and more you become detached from the actual reality. So what can happen is when we're hearing from a pillar, when we hear from people that are steadfast and we start to romanticize the unromantic is we can end up in a very scary place. Because to be a pillar in the house of God is painful. What's our example of that? James, Peter, and John, two martyred, or let's just use Jesus. Pretty painful for, to die for the world's sin. Pretty painful to be John the Baptist, beheaded for doing what God asked him to. Like, there's just account after account where to stand for God is worth anything that you pay, but let's not romanticize it. Let's not act like you don't need to forgive once a month in church. If you're running, you should need to forgive a little bit. I should have said something right now that means you have to forgive me. That, oh, he said, oh, I can't believe he said that about Alex calling him daddy. He said that poll reference. Oh my gosh. And he referenced it again later, just then. <laughs> let's not romanticize it. Let's not act like it's, it's, let's work out what the substance is. Because when we hear people's stories with their hindsight, <laughs> and use it as a predictor of our future events, we, be, we become a little bit lost. Because the way that people tell their stories is full of their own narration and it's full of their own personal perspective. Every conflict that I've ever had, let me tell you something, they were in the wrong and God stood by me and I got through it. Oh, and let me tell you, let me vilify them. That lady that got hit in the head with that ball, oh my gosh, she was in the wrong. And we hear stories and we romanticize parts of them, but sometimes you just need to learn how to stand firm, get real lessons from it and move on. And the last thing, um, as Alicia Keys jumps up and as we finish this morning, it's an easy mistake we can make when admiring pillars is we skip our own story. We skip the risk 
that we're supposed to be taking. Can I tell you, don't, let's say it. You can learn from other people's lessons, but we all know that the biggest lessons we ever learned weren't because we sat across the table from someone, sipped a coffee and heard their story. It's because we went through the trenches. It's because we felt the pain. It's because we let unforgiveness fester for too long and it made us too toxic and we had to get over it. It's because we hit rock bottom. It's because we missed the mark. It is our own adventure that teaches us so much. And we need to make sure that when we hear someone's story, uh, uh, (laughs) because any like where you're at right now is great. It's beautiful. You're doing good. You're great. But if I was to get you to tell me how you got there, it stinks of a lot of things. Like how you view it, what happened, your view of it, all this going on. And then if I grab where you've arrived and then bring it into my life, I might miss the five steps that I had to take to get there. For example, I've, I've spoken to people over years in church that have just arrived at this point. It's just Jesus. As long as it's just Jesus and his body. Because I don't want to get to the point of being like, it's just Jesus. Oh, therefore, hey, connect. We're not going to meet anymore because it's just Jesus. So what we do is we skip the adventure to arrive at certain points. Is it just Jesus? Yeah. But it's also just the new Christian. Because Jesus asked me to reach them. It's just a person that is poor or needy in my street or my neighborhood. He makes it about them. So what happens is we can skip our own story because we're like, oh, when it gets down, it was just about Jesus. So host team, see you later. It's just Jesus. So it doesn't really matter if I punch my boss in the face because I just want to encounter Jesus. It doesn't matter if I do my job. I'm just going to sit in my car when I'm supposed to be doing my job and I encounter the Lord. What we do is we grab truth, truth, yes, but we skip the steps to get us there. We end up with a weird privilege. To even get to that point, there's years of sacrifice and learning and growing and building the church. And you would never have got there if you just started just being like, it's just Jesus, so I'm not going to help anyone. It's just Jesus, so I'm not going to build the church. And I'm saying that, and you might say, if it was just about Jesus, you'd make it about the church. But history tells us otherwise. Like it just does. You can twist your relationship with Jesus to detach it from people. And you can say, I love God, I love God, I love God. But man, do not ask me to help that person. No, thank you. We need to bring some of these things back into truth. And when we look to these pillars, let's not skip our own story. Take wisdom, learn lessons. But let me just give you permission. Make your own mistakes. Keep taking those risks. Keep on getting into uncharted waters. Work out what really matters to you. Make sure that you keep on building the things that really matters to him. So whether it be the price that we have to pay to be a pillar, or whether it be the purpose of actually holding the local church up, the roof, the mission of Jesus to make disciples. Or there will be these things that we can twist into reasons why we do not. 
it comes down to just some like simple questions. Like, what do you want to be? Not how do you want to define pillar? Like if you go off the definition I've just laid out, do you want to be a pillar or not? And if not, that's okay. You will be there because someone else is holding the roof up. I've found a few times in life where there's just been options to not do the next right thing that I know I'm supposed to do. I just found myself being like, I'm too busy doing what God has asked me to do. Like I'm too busy to complain about the paint on the wall because the roof has got to stay up. Like I'm too busy to be like, oh, has the carpet got enough stain? Like the roof has to stay up. Are you a pillar right now? Do you want to be? Do you want to be tomorrow? Do you want to be at the end of your life? Do you want to be a pillar for a season and not a pillar? Will you pay the price? Will you align with the purpose? I guess, like, just really what I'm asking is are you all in? Is a salvation to be like, God, I give you everything? Are we willing to prove it? Like, are we willing to go all in every day? Are we willing to work out our salvation with a little bit of fear, a little bit of trembling? I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes this morning and maybe just to take a moment to reflect, to let words be words. Just think, are there people, are there people here because you've been holding the roof up? Like, do you get some credit? And not because you want credit, but because you're spending your life in a way that you're proud of. Not comparing to other pillars, but actually doing what he asked you to do. We're going to do two things as we finish our service. Um, I'm just going to ask if there's anyone in this room that as you're hearing the message this morning, just feel that you need to, and whether you're online as well, if you need to respond to Jesus. If you just need to get your heart and your life right with him, the Bible tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That if we confess that he is Lord and Savior, like that is the start of an adventure with him. That he saves us from our sins as we repent and that he becomes a Lord of our life, the one in control, the one leading us forward. And if you this morning, whether it be for the first time or you feel like you've walked away and you need to make that decision of Savior and Lord again, with every single eye closed, just for the privacy of the people around you, this moment is not about anyone but you. If you want to make that decision, I just want you to lift your hand where it is. My eyes are open. I want to pray with you. Awesome. Keep those hands up. Is there anyone else? They just need to get right with God. Awesome. You can chuck them down. Significant. It matters. It's the reason why the roof is up. I'm just going to ask us as a church family to repeat this prayer with those this morning making this decision to come from darkness into light and to just walk out of this place new. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And this morning, I pray that you accept me as your son or daughter. And I make you my Lord and Saviour. I repent from my sin and thank you that I am new.
In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.